So if you would, uh, in your copy of God's Word, uh, I pulled a fast one. Uh, after sending all the bulletin info in, I decided we're, gonna, we're actually going to do two chapters today. Uh, we're going to do Exodus 26 and 27. Uh, fear not, uh, I'm not going to ask you to stand to read both entire chapters. Uh, in fact, we're not even going to read both entire chapters. Uh, but if you would, uh, give your attention uh, to God's word as we look at um, Exodus chapter 26, beginning in verse 1. Uh, Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and you shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits and the breadth of each curtain four cubits. All the curtains shall be the same size. Five curtains shall occupy, shall be coupled to one another and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. And you shall make loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain in the first set. Likewise, you shall make loops on the edge of the outermost curtain on the second set. Fifty loops you shall make on the one curtain and fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is in the second set. The loops shall be opposite one another and you shall make fifty clasps of gold and couple the curtains one to another with the clasps so that the tabernacle may be a single whole. You shall also make curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shall you make. The length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits and the breadth of each curtain, four cubits. The 11 curtains shall be the same size. You shall couple five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves. And the sixth curtain you shall double over at the front of the tent. You shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in one set and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is in that is outermost in the second set. Now down to verse 30. Then you shall erect the tabernacle according to the plan for it that you were shown on the mountain. You shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. And you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold on four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there Within the veil and the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. You shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony that is in the most holy place. And you shall set the table outside the veil and the with and the lampstand on the south side of the tabernacle opposite the table. And you shall put the table on the north side and you shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and find twine linen embroidered with needlework. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold and you shall cast five bases of bronze for them. Thus far, God's word. Let's pray together. Uh, We pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would be at work in this uh, word that you inspired, that you Uh, had Moses record for us that you have preserved for us and we pray that you would be at work in it now uh, to point us to Christ to draw us to Christ for it's in his name and for his sake that we pray amen 
Um, I don't know if you're familiar. C.S. Lewis has a, an essay called The Inner Ring. If you've never read it, it's easy. You read it this afternoon. Uh, it's in a book I know called Present Concern. I'm sure you can get it off the interwebs. You can Google it. Uh, it's a great read. It's real easy. It's real short. Uh, and now I'm about to tell you really kind of the gist of the inner ring. And so maybe you're thinking now, well, why do I need to read it? You still need to read it. But the essence, the gist of, of uh, C.S. Lewis's essay is that, that we're always aware that we belong to a group of people. But at the same time, we are also equally aware that there is another group outside of us to which we belong, but there are some people there that don't belong in this group. But we're also equally aware that there's another group within that that we are left out of, to which we don't belong. An illustration, uh, 10, 11 years ago or so, uh, I had uh, practice round tickets to uh, Wednesday's practice round at the Masters at the Augusta National. And I took three guys from Oxford that had never been before, uh, a couple of them not really golfers, one of them not even, not even really all that athletic, quite honestly, uh, but they loved it nonetheless. Well, one of them, uh, Les Newsom, who was the RUF campus minister at the time uh, at Ole Miss, spent most of the day with this essay in his head because he felt like he was somebody. I'm getting to go to the Wednesday practice round at the Masters. I've got this ticket that is, quite honestly, not that expensive, but incredibly difficult to come by. And I've got this thing that makes me in, and I'm in, and I belong, and I'm somebody, and I'm going to get to walk through the gate and through the turnstile and scan this ticket that lets me walk these hallowed grounds of the Augusta National. I could even go watch the Par 3 tournament on Wednesday I can walk the course. And then he got in and he realized he's really not anybody. Because there were more ropes. The members were allowed behind those ropes. While they're sitting at these umbrella tables and eating their sandwiches for lunch, we are finding whatever patch of grass we can to sit down to eat ours. While the players are inside yet another set of ropes, we are keenly aware that we are not that good and we don't belong inside that those ropes either everywhere you go everywhere you are there is always a ring to the inside of where you are and you have this sense that i want to be in there you see this illustrated in in um the uh the 12 disciples also right there are hundreds of people following dozens of disciples Following Jesus around, he called 12. And yet, you notice when you read the Bible, Peter, James, and John show up together a lot. And you don't really know a whole lot about Andrew and Thomas and, and the other Judases and James, right? I mean, you're aware of those three. And then you're also aware that of those three, John is the one called the disciple whom Jesus loved. Even within the 12, there's an inner ring of three to which Thomas and Andrew don't belong. That, I think, illustrates this passage. What we have in the, the building, the design, the layout, the organization, the structure, the construction of the tabernacle and the tabernacle complex, keep in mind, the tabernacle is the inner tent, right? Two rooms, Holy of Holies, 
the most holy place and the holy place. The holy of holies and the, the holy place, right? The holy of holies is a 15 by 15 by 15 cube. And the holy place is 15 by 30 by 15. And, and then there's a courtyard. Uh, and we didn't read that. But in chapter 27, we get the description for the building the fence around the courtyard. Curtains. Um, but not nearly as intricate or extravagant or as fine as the ones we just read. And so we read about the tabernacle and its, and its construction and its layout. And we are asking ourselves, can I get in? Can I get in there? Can I belong? Can I gain access to God? And at some level, you're thinking, well, the very existence of a tabernacle says yes. Now, you and I know that, well, for one thing, this is a tent. Tents are portable. Tents are mobile. They're easily packed up. They're easily carried. They're easily taken from point A to point B. And all of God's people are dwelling in tents currently at this moment in time. And God himself identifies with his people in that he too dwells in a tent that can be packed up. And when it's time for God's people to move, to go to a new place in their migration towards the promised land. God's house is going to be packed up, rolled up, wrapped up around the poles and carried to the next location, just like everybody else. And we know that when they get there and set up camp, that that tent, that God's tent, the tabernacle is going to be set up in the middle of the camp. Central to the life and structure and organization of the camp itself is God's dwelling. He's going to be there in the midst of his people. And all of that we know and we go, well, of course we can have access. Clearly, access has been granted. But if you read this passage and you focus mainly on what we know and what the original audience would have known... The reality is there's a lot about this construction that if you were to take your key card and swipe your key card and do the retina scan and your fingerprint scan and your voice recognition stuff, the screen would say access denied. Did you notice the way the Holy of Holies is described? It's, it's, we're, we're dealing with a tent, but we're dealing with a a tent that is basically four layers of material thick. And as you read through 26 and 27, they get fancier and fancier the closer you get to the ark. That's actually been the, the pattern. You may read through Exodus and think this is, sounds so random. Here, here's how to build this item and here's how to build this furniture and this piece of furniture and that piece of furniture and this thing and this thing. Oh, and the tent. Like for us, it sounds random or haphazard. But in actuality, God starts with the central focus of the tabernacle. The most important piece of furniture in all of Israel, the Ark of the Testimony, the Ark of the Covenant. Made of wood, overlaid with gold. A solid gold mercy seat. It's never called a lid. It's never called a cover. It's never, it's always called, in fact, we read it. It's always the mercy seat, which is solid gold slab, with solid gold cherubim, all one piece, 
all fashioned into one thing. And between that, those cherubim is the mercy seat. And that box, that ark, is God's... It's really not His throne. It's actually His footstool. The throne is there between the cherubim above the mercy seat. And it starts there and then moves out to the, the building construction of the furnishings in the holy place. And then the tent. And then the courtyard. All of that is intended to tell us something. That, that this room, this place, this item, this piece of furniture is the central piece of furniture. And did you, did you notice? Excuse me. Um, the ark is overlaid with gold. The mercy seat is solid gold. You will find no bronze in the tabernacle. But we didn't read chapter 27, which describes the building of a bronze altar. Or the, the, the fence of the whole tabernacle, verse 10, it's 20 pillars, 20 bases shall be of bronze. The closer you get to the ark, the fancier, the more expensive, the more, more amazing, more, you know, whatever the, is the material inside there. The further you get away from the ark, the less spectacular the detail. In fact, actually, the, um, the language used to talk about the, the I, I, I'm sorry. I'm a Luddite. I have no idea. Right? Just the needlework stuff. Sorry. So I'm so I promise that people the handiness, the, the verbs themselves, there are four different verbs in these two chapters that describe what happens. And when you're when you're weaving cherubim into the blue and purple and scarlet linen, that requires a different verb than hang some linen on some rods for the courtyard. That's a different verb altogether. And so the passage points us to this room, this 15 by 15 by 15 room that contains the Holy of Holies. And the fact that there's gold and this, the cherubim around what would be the throne of heaven, actually, I mean, the throne above the Ark of the Covenant, the throne of God, actually is supposed to make you think of the throne room in heaven itself. Did you, did you notice verse 30? I read verse 30 on purpose, even though in, in most of your Bibles, it's, it's kind of in the middle. It's the last verse of a paragraph. But it, it's literally God says to Moses, you're going to build this according to the pattern that I show you. And, and the writer of Hebrews actually picks up on that in Hebrews chapter 8. And the, the, the writers of Scripture are actually telling us that God is saying, look, there is a model. You know, there's an Eiffel Tower in Vegas. You know, there's a Parthenon in Nashville, right? It's not the Parthenon, but it is built after the pattern. It's modeled after the real one. That's the language here. 
The Holy of Holies is built, it's patterned after the real throne room of heaven. Because you know, read Job, read Ezekiel 1, read Isaiah 6, read Revelation. You already know that anytime we get a glimpse of God on his throne, there are angels around him. These cherubim are woven into this fabric to communicate to you this is this is a model of the very of the heavenly throne room itself. But then verse 31 there's more. In verse 31 there's a veil and that veil has cherubim and and you're supposed to remember the last time you saw cherubim mentioned it was way back in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve were removed from the garden because they had sinned. They had committed cosmic treason. They violated God's, God's revealed will. And so they were removed from the garden, which, by the way, if you read the passage, was a mercy to them. It wasn't part of their punishment. Let's get them out of the garden lest they go back and eat of the tree of life and stay like this forever. They had to leave the garden in order for there to be some chance of redemption. But the garden, which was in the east, they were removed from the garden and and there were sentries stationed outside the garden with a flaming sword so that Adam and Eve couldn't come back in. The sentries, we're told, are cherubim. In other words, the Holy of Holies is to us, is to God's people in um, Exodus 26 and, and throughout their, their time in the Old Testament. It's a little piece of heaven on earth. It's a little piece of holy ground in the midst of sinful and rebellious people. In the midst of a fallen world. And this Veil, this room says you rebellious sinners can't come in. Swipe your key card, access denied. Because, because woven into the fabric, literally, of the tabernacle is God's holiness. Swipe your key card. Access denied. However, did you notice Bob beat me to the punch? There are some people who when they swipe their key card, it says access restricted. Some people that are actually allowed in. Some of you have been to the Noah's Ark um, uh, recreation thing up in Kentucky. Uh, the Mennonites have a tabernacle recreation in, in Pennsylvania if you're looking for something to do. Either one of them would be more than willing to take your 30, 40, 50 bucks so that you can get in and see this. Um, uh, th- there's a part of me that, that kind of from time to time wonders about the ites living around the Israelites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites. Like there's, there's something about... The, the people around Israel that yeah, they're, they're, they're marching to, they're going somewhere, they're passing by, they look over and they see all these people and they see this, this tent. And, and quite honestly, it's really not all that impressive. I mean, okay, 
15 feet. I, I, so I used golf measurements, which means I walked it off. I didn't actually get a tape measure. Like I wouldn't build anything by this, but it's good enough for choosing a club on the golf course. If you were to walk from the, this edge of that door, you couldn't get to me in 15 feet. All you people, y'all are outside. And the 15 feet that way, if you're in the bend of the third row, you're in the holy place. And the people in the back, well, y'all can forget it. The, the, the other end of the holy place won't reach that back wall. I mean, you think this is not a terribly impressive building? The tabernacle really wasn't a very impressive building. I mean, it's four layers of, of linen and, 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 and material on the inside overlaid with like skins and hides and things to... Weatherproof, right? I mean, you, you got to keep the rain off the ark and off the table and the bread and presents. And you don't want candles going out because it's raining into the tabernacle. But you're walking by and you're seeing this 15 by 45 tent. And there's a part of me that thinks, I wonder if they ever kind of thought, I just got to see, what is this? Like, can I, can I get a look? Well, these ites would be stopped at the courtyard entrance. Now, all the entrances of the ark face east. From the Holy of Holies, you go east into the holy place. You go east to get out into the courtyard. You go east to leave the courtyard. There's only one way in and only one way out. All the, any of the ites, any of these, these Bedouin travelers driving by, walking by that want a glimpse of this thing, right? I mean, can I give you my 45 bucks and get in and see this? No, you can't. You're not allowed in at all because you are a foreigner. You're an outsider. You're, you're not allowed even into the courtyard itself. No amount of curiosity, no amount of ticket price, nothing. They're not allowed in at all. In fact, for that matter, most of the Israelites would never, ever, ever see the ark. They would never see inside that tabernacle. The Israelites were allowed in the courtyard, but only the priests could go into the tabernacle at all. And only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. And even then, um, only once a year. On a very particular, not, not once a year as in he gets to choose. Well, I better go this week because I'm on vacation next week. And so I'm going to go now and make it. Now, on the day of a, the, the day that's appointed for him to enter into the most holy place. And so there's these, these series of, of barriers of places where certain people had to stop along the way. For that matter, there's a, verse 31, there's a veil between the Holy of Holies and the holy place. Then there's another veil, verse 36, from the holy place to the outside world. You and I would all be, well, we're all Gentiles, we would be outside the courtyard. But let's assume we're, we'd be trying to peek in, right? A priest would walk in, we'd want to try to catch a glimpse around the curtain as he made his, we'd never even get to see it. Certainly not enter it. That's what a veil does. A veil hides, a veil covers, a veil... Moses, in just a few chapters, is going to be wearing a veil because his face is so bright. Brides wear veils until the appointed time for her 
groom, her husband-to-be, to see her face. These are curtains, they're veils, they're hanging dividers and, and hiders. They're designed so that you can't see. So that you can't get in. But if you are the priest, you would enter not just into the courtyard, but then you would be allowed into the holy, the, the holy place. And if you're the high priest, you could get into the most holy place. But I want you to notice, as you're traveling west from the entrance of the courtyard, you can't get to the tabernacle without passing a bronze altar, 27 verses 1 to 8. Vern Porthrus called it a stove, an oven, a stove. It's a it's it's constantly burning a sacrifice. You you have to make a sacrifice to get in. You can't come in on your own. You can only come in if you are the right kind of person, you meet the right criteria and you come in the right way. And so as this altar is consuming the sacrifice even the priest can't just come and go as he sees fit the, the members of the Augusta National even during the masters can wear their green jacket that says I'm a member and they're allowed into the clubhouse they're allowed into certain parts of the of the, the buildings and, and some of the cabins and they can eat in certain places and they can come and go because they, they belong there. That's not the case for the priest. He can only come in if he comes the right way for the right reason. You can't come without a sacrifice. You can't come into the tabernacle unclean. Violate that, even if you are a priest, and death is yours. So there are parts of this structure, aspects of, of this building that you swipe your key card and they're telling you access denied because you are a sinner and this is holy ground. Some will swipe and access granted if and only if. Or access restricted if and only if you meet certain qualifications and criteria and come in the right way and at the right time for the right reason. And so the question is, can we get in? What about you and me? I want to I be in that inner ring. Can I get into that inner ring? Well, this tent points us to Jesus. There are two passages that, that we read every Christmas Eve that are part of, of every Christmas Eve service, it seems. One, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Jesus is called Emmanuel. Literally, it's the Hebrew words, with us God, smushed together to make a name. His name is literally, in English, with us God. Right? You've got to put all the letters into one word, one name, taken straight out of Isaiah. He's with us God. Well, how is God with us? Well, He's not with us in a building anymore. He's not with us in a, a tabernacle, in this structure. He's with us in Christ. Christ came to, well, as John 1 tells us, 
the eternal word made flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt is the Greek word for tabernacle. Jesus literally took on flesh and tabernacled with his people. He came into and took on their likeness and came into our world even even more so than the tabernacle itself in actually bearing flesh as a man. Jesus is the true tabernacle. And it appears that Jesus is actually in the business of ripping veils. Because there's two. There are two veils that Jesus destroys in his person and work on the earth. We read just a few minutes ago, our New Testament reading, Hebrews chapter 10. Did you notice? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. You have, why can we come so, all these people that weren't allowed, swipe the key card, nope, you can't come in. Swipe the key card. You can come this far, but no further. How is it that we can come with such confidence into the holy places by the it's by the blood of Jesus? And did you notice? By the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain. You know the story. Jesus was hanging on the cross. The altar that is our place of sacrifice. The altar on which the Lamb of God was slain, who suffered and bled and died to atone for our sin. Matthew 27, we read that when Jesus died, the curtain of the temple tore in two from top to bottom. Interesting tidbit of information, don't you think, coming from Matthew? Like, does it really matter that it was torn from? Yes, it matters that it was torn from top. God is tearing this curtain and it's the curtain that separated the holy place from the most, most holy place. All of a sudden, the veil that was designed to tell everybody, you can't come in. This place is too holy. In Christ, you now have access. In Christ, you get to walk into the very throne room of heaven confidently, boldly, not arrogantly, not trusting in yourself, but it's by the blood of Jesus. But there's another wall that Jesus destroyed. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians 2, there's another veil, another barrier being torn down by Christ. Ephesians 2, verse uh, 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Do you hear it? The wall that keeps the Gentiles out is now gone. Jesus destroys veils that separate. The veil that keeps you from God, gone. Why? Because you trust in Christ and Him alone. If your hope is in anything else, your key card still says access denied. 
You can swipe all you want and the access will still say denied. You're not welcomed in. When you look to Christ in faith, when you're trusting in Him and Him alone, you have access to the very throne room of heaven. But you benefit as the Gentiles that you are from the other curtain, the other dividing wall that's been destroyed by Christ. The one that kept the Gentiles out and said, no, no, this is for Jews only. Now it's for the world. Now it's for any and all who would look in faith to Christ. What once kept Jews and Gentiles separate has been destroyed, torn down in Christ. Jesus is the tabernacle. Jesus is God's presence with His people. Jesus is the priest that has gone into the Holy of Holies and offered the sacrifice himself for his people. And he welcomes us, all who belong to the true tabernacle, into the presence of God. But I want to to make one observation, if I may. Um, I mentioned this, I think, a week or two ago. Read through... The Exodus account of all the furniture, all the design, all the construction going into the tabernacle. And there's something missing. There's no place to sit down. The priest can't walk into the Holy of Holies. I mean, I imagine, I don't know, maybe we tend to think of the priest kind of walking into the Holy of Holies, sprinkling some blood, walking out. I mean, I imagine him kind of more hesitant than that. Understanding, I'm, I'm stepping into holy ground here and I'm coming with blood, but I'm going to sprinkle that blood maybe before I actually stick a toe in there if I can't. I mean, I'm, it's, this is a small room. It can, I just imagine it sort of, I don't know, being more like that. He, there's no place for the priest to sit. Why? Because his work is never done. He's got to do this over and over and over And over again, where's Jesus? Do you want to, should we recite the Apostles' Creed? Right? Seated at the right hand of the Father. Why can Jesus sit down? Because the work of the priest has been finished. There's nothing you can add to your salvation. There's nothing you can do to add to what Christ has done for us. There's nothing you can possibly make the work of Jesus better. There's no way that you can make God love you more than Christ has already brought you to him. If you're trusting in Christ and him alone, this tabernacle is you. It's your access, it's your story, it's your access to the Father because Christ is this tabernacle. For Israel and for the Gentile. For the Jew and for the Gentile. If you're not trusting in Christ, you can swipe your key card, but you're just going to get access denied. In Christ, brothers and sisters, your access is granted. May that fuel our love for him, our love for each other, and our joyful service of him in the world around us. Let's pray together.
Lord Jesus, we thank You that You have granted us access to the very throne room of heaven. That You, by Your work, by Your sacrifice, by Your offering, as both priest and spotless lamb, as tabernacle, as all that the Old Testament anticipates, uh, that You have... Um, that you are God's presence with us, that you uh, dwelt in flesh and lived among your people to accomplish that which we cannot accomplish ourselves. And we thank you for granting us access to the Father, for that, that no one comes to the Father except through you. Father, would you, would you grow in us a deeper gratitude and love for Christ? And greater appreciation for the access we have to the very throne room of heaven. For it's in his name that we ask it. Amen.